Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. In 1907, the Chicago White Stockings officially became the Chicago Cubs. 1907. That's a long time ago. To put that in perspective, 1907 was the year before people started eating food. Can you believe that? It's a long time ago. Anyways, in 1907, in that very first year is the Cubs. The Cubs won the World Series, sweeping the Detroit Tigers Four games to nothing. The next season, 1908, the Cubs won it all again. The Chicago Cubs were two for two in winning World Series championships. But in 1909, the Cubs did not win the title. They did make the World Series in 1910, but they lost it. The Cubs didn't win in 1911, and they didn't win in 1912. They didn't win in 1913 or in 1914. They didn't win in 1915 or in 1916. They didn't win in 1917, World Series in 1918, but they lost it. The Cubs didn't win in 1919 or in 1920. You know what? It's just easier if I just list all the years, all the consecutive seasons. The Chicago Cubs did not win the World Series. The Cubs did not win. They were not champions in 1922, 1923, 1924, 1925, 1926, 1927, and 1929, 1930, 1939, 1960, 1961, up until that year, the Chicago Cubs had 94 consecutive years without a championship, the longest streak in major pro sports history. But 2003, 2003 was going to be different. The Cubs won the NL Central with 88 wins behind Mark Pryor, Kerry Wood, Carlos Zambrano, Moises Alou, and of course, Sammy Sosa. The Cubs faced the Braves in the division series. Atlanta had won a league-best 101 games that year. But Kerry Wood and Mark Pryor gave up only four runs over their three combined games, and the Cubs advanced to the NLCS to face the Florida Marlins. Could this be it? The Marlins won game one, but the Cubbies won game two, game three in 11 innings, and game four to take a historically safe 3-1 series lead. 
Josh Beckett and the Marlins shut out the Cubs in game five, but game six, game six was in Chicago at Wrigley Field. One win, and the Cubs go to their first World Series since 1945. And they've got their ace, Mark Pryor, on the hill. The Cubs strike first. Kenny Lofton singles to right. A bunt from Mark Zalonic, great baseball name, moves to second. Sammy Sosa is at the plate and definitely not on PEDs. Surge into right field. It will fall. A base hit. Lofton will score. Sosa to second. And the Cubs lead 1-0. In the sixth inning with the absolutely clean Sammy Sosa on third base, the Marlins go to the bullpen and bring in Dontrell Willis. On a 3-1 pitch, the ball is low and the catcher can't make the play. And that ball gets a lead. And the Cubs lead 2-0. Now, seventh inning, more small ball from the Cubbies. Paul Bacco singles the center. Mark Pryor's bunt moves him into scoring position. The Marlins replace Dontrell Willis with Chad Fox. And Mark Grudzelonic, which I've already said is a great baseball name, steps to the plate. Runner at second, two away. Cubs bat, bottom of the seventh inning. Grudzelonic, a floater into center field. It'll fall a hit. They will wave around Bacco. Three. Chicago. Cubs up 3-0. Wrigley is rocking. To the eighth inning we go, and Mark Pryor gets Mike Mordecai, great baseball name, to fly out. One down. Juan Pierre doubles the left, but Pryor gets two strikes on the next batter, Luis Castillo. After taking two balls, Castillo runs the count full. Still one strike away from two outs in the eighth inning. Mark Pryor with the pitch. Foul out of play. Castillo making him work. Still just one strike and four more outs away from the World Series. Pryor deals again. 3-2. Again fouled away. A seven-pitch at bat thus far for Castillo. And on the eighth pitch of that at-bat, Castillo fouled off another ball. This one... A lazy fly down the left field line. Again in the air, down the left field line. A reaching into the stands and couldn't get it. And he's livid with a fan. Moises Alou is screaming into the stands. Fans are wondering what happened. And Steve Bartman sits back down. Headphones over his ears, glasses, black sweatshirt, green turtleneck and a Cubs hat pulled down low. Bartman was one of three fans seated along the left field wall who reached out to catch what they thought was a foul ball, but only one of them, Steve Bartman, actually touched it, preventing Alou from catching what would have been the second out of that inning. The count is still full to Luis Castillo. Pryor and the Cubs are still one strike and four outs away from the fall classic. But all anyone can think about is Steve Bartman. And that's a Cub fan who tried to make that catch. Why? And it's ball four to Castillo. The pitch gets away from Baco and advancing on to third is Pierre. So now the tying run will come to the plate for the Florida Marlins here in the top of the eighth inning. And that tying run was Hall of Famer Yvonne Rodriguez. But Mark Pryor had him down 0-2. 
For the seventh time that inning, Mark Pryor and the Cubs are one strike away from getting that second out. And that tying run was Hall of Famer Yvonne Rodriguez. But Mark Pryor had him down 0-2 for the seventh time that inning. Mark Pryor and the Cubs are one strike away from getting that second out in the eighth. The Cubs still have a 3-0 lead. Into left field, a base hit by Rodriguez. He is delivered again. Pierre scores to make it a 3-1 ball game. The tying run is aboard, and the go-ahead run is coming to the plate. That go-ahead run is soon to be Hall of Famer Miguel Cabrera. Castillo is on second. Pudge Rodriguez is on first. So the double play is in order. Pryor throws his first pitch to Cabrera. Round ball in the hole is short. And bobbled by Gonzalez and everybody's safe. The error from the sure-handed Alex Gonzalez leaves the bases full. There's trouble in the Windy City for sure, but the Cubs are still up 3-1 to one with a struggling Derek Lee coming to the plate. Here's Mark Pryor's first pitch to Derek Lee. Hammered down the left field line, and the game will be tied up. Scoring is Castillo. Scoring is Rodriguez. It's a 3-3 game as the frustration ends for Derek Lee. Dusty Baker finally makes a pitching change. Kyle Farnsworth intentionally walks Mike Lowell to put the double play back in order. Base is now loaded for Jeff Conine, great baseball name. Farnsworth's first pitch to Conine is a sack fly scoring Cabrera, and now the Marlins have the 4-3 lead still in the bottom of the eighth inning. Another intentional walk creates a force out at every base. Now remember, Cubs are only down one run. They still have two more at-bats. This game is very much winnable. Here's Kyle Farnsworth, 2-1 pitch to Mike Mordecai. That ball hammered into left center field on the run, Alou. On the run is Walton, and it's off the ivy. Three runs are going to score on a double by Mordecai. A seven-run Florida eighth inning. And this crowd at Wrigley Field stunned in disbelief. Mike Remlinger comes on to try to get the last out of the top of the eighth. Here's his first Juan Pierre. Lined in the right field, a base hit. They're going to wave around Mordecai. He will score. It is an eight-run Florida inning. Luis Castillo, whose fly ball was almost caught by Moises Alou for what would have been the second out of the eighth inning, finally flied out to end the eighth inning. But the damage was already done. The Cubs went down 1-2-3 in the bottom of the eighth and 1-2-3 in the bottom of the ninth. The Marlins won the game, and now the NLCS was tied 3-3. Game 7 was at Wrigley. But no one remembers it because of how insane Game 6 was, and that makes total sense. The Marlins were up 3-0, but Cubs pitcher Kerry Wood tied the game with a two-run blast. Moises Alou's home run in the third inning gave the Cubs a two-run lead. But Chicago collapsed again, giving up three runs in the fifth, one in the sixth, and two more in the seventh. The Marlins won Game 7 9-6 and would go on to win the World Series as well. The Cubs, of course, 
lost again. But that was nothing new. 58 years without a pennant, 95 years without a World Series title. Steve Bartman did watch the rest of the top of the eighth inning of Game 6 in his seat, but Cubs security escorted him out immediately afterwards. For almost all of us in this country and on this planet, that was the first and the last time we ever saw Steve Bartman. This is First Ballot. Welcome to First Ballot, the podcast that celebrates the moments in sports that really matter and inducts them into the First Ballot Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Neil, the long-lost Gasol brother, the Spotify Cliff Levingston, the iHeartRadio Randy Brown, coming to you live from the Shaquille O'Neal office depot, big and tall executive suite desk chair in my basement office. Today's episode of First Ballot could be sponsored by Hulu's new series, History of the World Part 2. Everyone knows History of the World Part 1. It's a goddamn comedy monolith. It's a pillar. Well, Mel Brooks is running it back, and this time he's got some help. Nick Kroll, Wanda Sykes, Ike Barinholtz, Kevin Salter, and David Stassen. Check it out on Hulu coming soon. The 2003 Cubs-Marlins National League Championship game, sixth, eighth inning, also known as the Bartman game, is an undisputed great sports moment, but is it good enough for the first bout Hall of Fame? We will decide that today, and here to do it with me is my guest. He was a writer-producer-director on The Mindy Project, He's the writer of Central Intelligence starring Kevin Hart and The Rock. He's a writer-executive producer on Netflix's Chicago Party Ant. He's the executive producer of Blocker starring John Cena and Leslie Mann. He's writer-executive producer-director on Hulu's History of the World Part II. And he's writing and directing his first feature film, Maximum Truth. For you sports fans, he also worked on Pardon the Interruption and Rome is Burning as a youngster. And most importantly for our purposes today... He was at the Bartman game inside the friendly confines. It's the powerhouse, Mr. David Stassen. David, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Incredible Why are you intro. Doing this? Why are you doing this? This is a huge mistake. Let's get on to the questions. All right. <laughs> we'll get to all of your Hollywood credits soon. I'm, ex- I'm excited to do it. But let, right out of the gate, what did you do on PTI? Uh, I think I started off as a, a PA. I was just a production assistant. We do a little, uh, yeah, do a little research every morning. Every there'd be like eight of us in the office, and we'd each sort of cover a region of the country and look for sports stories in local papers. Amazing. And uh, and then I would sort of help put together the uh, the, the the clips that they would show over Tony and Mike's uh, you know opening vos for each topic. Uh, Rome is burning was on ESPN, correct? It was yes. But that's it. But Rome is burning is after the infamous Jim Everett moment with Jim. Rome? Yeah, it was probably a good 10, 12 years okay. later. I think maybe, yeah, because I worked on PTI and Around the Horn in DC. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to get back into screenwriting. So I moved back to LA and, but still needed a day job. And so uh, through some, you know, mutual ESPN connections, went down to Orange County every morning and, and did the Jim Rome is burning show. And so I could write in the afternoons up in LA. So that was like mid, mid early two thousands. You remember the Jim Everett moment on the show? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. How great great is that? Yeah. (laughs) So good. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, how did you decide? I was I was saving this for later, but let's dive into it because you just mentioned it. How you said you wanted to get back into comedy writing. How did you do that? What was your plan? How did you execute that sort and achieve that goal ultimately? Um, well, let's see. Moved out here a little. Moved out to LA a little bit after college. Uh, had you know odd jobs, parking cars, delivering room service at a hotel. Right. Uh, would write with um, my my partner Ike Barinholtz, who's still my partner. Um, we'd write in between our shifts of work, and um, decided I needed a little more structure to my writing. So I went to grad school, did an uh, MFA in, in screenwriting. Um, took the job with ESPN, which took me to DC right after I finished my master's. Uh, and then after I love DC, love working in sports, but really wanted to get back into screenwriting. So I moved back to LA and uh, see, I was just finishing up Mad TV and uh, I would work mornings for Jim Roman's Burning. And then every afternoon we, he and I would get together and we'd, we'd write movies and each script got a little bit less worse than the one before. So, you know, you'd write, you'd write a script, it was bad. You'd write the next script. It was less bad. Maybe someone would read it. Maybe you'd get a meeting. And we just kept doing that until uh, we wrote Central Intelligence and uh, sold that. And even that, you know, we sold that. But then it took seven years to get made. So in the meantime, we sold it and we just kept grinding and, you know, getting writing jobs and stuff. The, the the movie industry is insane to me. I can't believe anyone actually does it. You write Central Intelligence. Seven years later, they make the movie. Yeah, yeah. So you're like, you're going from, we wrote this thing, we like it, we pitch it, they pick it up. And then how the hell does, it ends up with Kevin Hart and The Rock. How the hell do they get attached? That must have been super exciting. Oh, it was, it was amazing. We, uh, you know, we, I think when we originally, you know, we wrote it for at the time, you know, we were, we still are big Danny McBride fans. And we yeah, kind of yeah. pictured like Danny McBride in the uh, in the role of a fat Jason Bourne, mm-hmm. and uh, and Ed Helms as like his uptight you know acquaintance from high school, and right, they come right. back together. And then you know one director comes on board, and then you know he falls out, and then another director comes on oh board, and then God. he falls out, and then you know some other actor reads and it wants to do it, and just it keeps it keeps every six months having a new life and then dying. And then eventually after two or three years of waiting for all these updates, um, I think we just started, uh, I think we were just like, Hey, let's, let's, let's get some consistent work and which isn't easy to do, but we, we managed to get an interview with Mindy Kaling and got staffed writing on the Mindy project. And, uh, of course, while we're doing that and busy, then we hear, Oh, now Ross and Marshall Thurber, the guy that directed with the Millers, he read central (laughs) intelligence because it was still hanging around. And he right. was like, this is the next movie I want to make. And we met with him and he's like, oh I'm going to get gosh. The Rock and Kevin Hart. And we were oh like, oh my gosh. We were like, good luck. <laughs> you know. uh, That's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. You you mentioned your partnership with Ike Barinholtz. Ike is insanely funny. If you don't know him, Google him. He's an, oh, that guy. You guys know Ike. How did you guys meet? How did the two of you impact each other's careers? We met at uh, a summer camp in Chicago when we were, I think, both like in third grade. And uh, then we went to different schools, played basketball against each other in middle school. And then (laughs) he went to a tiny little Jewish day school. And so after eighth grade, he he came over to my high school and we were kind of like best friends, like best friends since since ninth grade on. And we wrote, the, the, uh, we wrote a comedy column for our high school newspaper. And, uh, 
just kind of knew we were going to move to LA after college and, and oh write together. Oh my God. That's so yeah. great. Congratulations to both of you. That's really exciting to hear who bigger, more important question here. Who's the better player? You or Ike? Uh, I think even Ike would admit that I, I, I play a lot more God basketball. Than, oh yeah. shit. That's <laughs> gotta be tough to hear. If you're Ike Barinholtz or an Ike Barinholtz fan, you're He's are you willing fine. to say that he's doing fine <laughs> no 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 let's stay don't don't protect him right here you are better than him you're notably better than him and everyone that knows the two of you knows that you are better than him at basketball is that true or false you're saying it not me <laughs> it's funny i will say just if we're going to talk up my game i have to admit i used to play hoops in chicago at, at, a, at a health club and a lot of nba guys would be there and one time I was on a team with Randy Brown. We were on the same team. Unreal. And I'm good. And I was with Randy Brown. And we lost. We lost. <laughs> I, like he could not hit the fucking the, the side of a barn. And I was like, all right, I'm usually like the best player on the, in this gym. And now I got an NBA player on my team. And we lost to five like middle-aged stockbrokers. Unbel- it, chemistry, yeah. Listen, chemistry matters. Yeah. I really appreciate you airing out your bone to pick with Randy Brown. Um, let's get hey, into our, let's get, <laughs> let's get into our sports moment. We have to decide if Steve Bartman's game, I, I really should say game six, eighth inning of game six of the 2000, uh, NL, NLCS. Uh, if, the, is that going to make the first ballot hall of fame to do that? We have to go through our first ballot hall of fame credentials. Those are the categories by which we judge our moment. The first category, the first credential is analytics. People love stats, particularly in baseball. There's not a ton of stats in this game because a lot of the fulcrum here is sort of Bartman and everything sort of swings on that. Here are some stats. Five outs away. Baseball people love to count down the outs at the end of games, and it, it is the one time where I go, man, it does matter. Because, like, in a basketball game, if you're, like, it's two minutes left, there's the stoppage you don't know. But with baseball, you can bring it down to, like, five things. We only have to do five more things, five more outs to get uh, to the World Series amazing to think about it was the same thing for the Yankees and the Red Sox and the ALCS five outs away um, both of those series happening concurrently five outs away before the World Series amazing to think about Sammy Sosa went three for four with one run in an RBI good Sosa oh, game God. Mark Pryor who will come up here prominently soon was throwing a gem seven and a third shutout innings he'd only given up three hits three singles he had a ton of rest he had thrown seven innings in game two and won that game Mark Pryor was throwing a gem up until this point. And then the last stat to think about, Alex Gonzalez led the National League shortstops with a 984 fielding percentage. He had 10 errors in 150 games. That's one error every 15 games, and he had a big one in this one. David, your thoughts on those stats? Anything stick out? Uh, First, I want to cry. Uh, I mean, you just set the stage. I, I mean, I was at the game. All the emotions are, were welling back up, and uh, <laughs> I did not know at the time. Uh, what, what year is it? Twenty two thousand three. Yes, I'm. Tw- I think I'm still. So it's the fall. I'm twenty six. I'm oh twenty six. Oh my gosh! Oh, so brutal. I, well, I old enough to know what's going on. Oh, I mean, you know, I was a I was a kid in '84 when they went up 2-0 right. against the oh Padres in the National uh, National League playoffs. They were one game away from the World Series and lost the next three. Back when the the series was five, '89, Andre Dawson MVP. Well, the year after his MVP, best team in the National League. 
They get oh. Dawson goes like 0 for 15. They get swept by the fucking Giants and Will Clark, a, pe- <laughs> a cocky piece of shit. Uh, so yeah, I you know, and then they were bad till '98 was the home run chase. Uh, so yeah, I knew I was in LA and I I bought like a Southwest ticket, you know, whatever, 189 bucks round trip. I went home. I was in school. I went home for 24 hours because oh. Ike got me a ticket. And I was like, I'm going to be in Chicago at the game when the Cubs go to the World Series. <laughs> and I flew home for game six. I, and I, I flew, I, I had like a 24-hour stay in Chicago. And it was, I mean, just like a real, um, a real roller coaster of emotions. Unbelievable. You, um, you have called out, in this episode, you've called out Randy Brown and Will Clark. Real yeah. animosity between you and those two men. <laughs> I love Randy. No, no love for Will. <laughs> the next category is the eye test. David, what did you see in rewatching this moment? What did you see that mm-hmm. might give this moment an edge and put it in the first ballot Hall of Fame? Well, so I was on the uh, first base side. Um, Got it. And even, you know, so it was, I was a good ways away since he was down to third baseline, all the basically right. in right in uh, left field. But we knew the whole stadium knew right away. I don't know if it's because back oh then God. fans had radios, you know, like right. with them, and you could hear the WGN uh, radio call. But we knew, like, within like moments, like it was the whole stadium was buzzing. Like a fan, you know, a fan <laughs> oh of Mo- Mo- Moises is pissed. Moises Salud, the left fielder, he's pissed because a fan, <laughs> like a fan, got in his way, and you knew right, right away. And then even from you know a few hundred feet. You started to see the beers flying towards oh Barton. God! And in just rewatching it before you and I hopped on, I start, you can see Bartman like wiping. He's wiping his yes. face because you can't see yes. pick up the beer on TV, but he's wiping his face because there's oh some splashes. God. And I feel so bad for him watching I it again. Know. I, I was know. so mad at him in the moment. Yes. And like it ruined his life. Thank God they finally won, and I think we made it up to him. I think he was at the parade or something, but. In the moment, we knew. We knew something awful had happened, and the whole stadium knew. It was like it was Buckner. It was the Black Cat in 68 yes. when the Cubs blew the yes. big lead to the Mets over the end of the summer. <laughs> like, we knew in the mo- in the stadium, we knew in that moment we had just <sighs> witnessed, like, a a, uh, a supernatural curse take place. You you mentioned Moise Alou getting angry. Th- that, to me, was my eye, my eye test um, submission here. He gets so angry and almost really has like a real petulant sort of kid-like response. And I feel like that two things happen. One, it it creates the start of that, like, whoa, something happened. Why is he so mad? Like Buzz that sort of, uh, you're telling me, took over the stadium, which is amazing to think about. And two, I always think about the Shaq quote. I'm like a fan. We all know this. Uh, I think about the Shaq quote when he talks about Phil Jackson, when he, when he's like, when the general's not nervous, you're not nervous to me. Alu was so angry that you, I just felt like the tension had popped, had burst. They, they were so excited about the, the last five outs here, the last inning and a half or whatever. And when that goes down, it mm-hmm. just felt like something happened in this arena and it all just sort of went downhill from there. You're right. It was Everyone turns on him in the moment that day. It becomes news. Every news channel, every show is talking about him. It's content. And now, only now, in retrospect, do you look back and think about this guy's life and how shitty this was 
for him to go through. It's really yeah. amazing. And we knew, or now we know now, like he he was he was the biggest Cub fan of anyone in the stadium. Yes, right. Like right. Li- literally, like listened to the game on the radio, went to every yes. game. Like probably knew more about the team than like than anybody else. Totally. Um, so that that's that's the really the really sad part. In the moment, though, you're right. Like once Moises did that, like the whole stadium was just talking the rest of the game, like talking to each oh, other. The, there was a buzz, and I don't think even the players could concert anymore. And I did not remember or realize that that Gonzalez was the best shortstop fielding wise in right. baseball. And I mean, it, I, we were like, I mean, the five outs away is what I always think about. Like we were yes. so close. Ike and I were literally holding hands. After Pryor got the first out in that inning, we're like one out, one out in the eighth. We're up, I think, like three runs, maybe. Yeah, yeah. right. Was it? What was the score? Three, was like three five, nothing. Three nothing. We were up three runs with one out in the eighth. Like we were just gonna. I think we were gonna hold. The plan was to hold hands the rest of the game because, like, you know, when you get like superstitious in sports. Yeah, of like course. oh, I always sit in this seat. It. Yeah, I yes. sit here. I drink this. I fill up my my cup with ice. Yes. You know, at this moment of the game, like. We were we were locked in, uh, and then uh, and then all hell broke loose. Oh my God! You, you you mentioned that first out. That's my other eye test submission. Mark Pryor. If you rewatch us, and again, th- this was a game that I watched live. Now I enjoy baseball, but I'm not like a baseball guy. This was a game you had to watch because in pre 2016 Cubs championship world. Every when when the Cubs are about to make the World Series, everyone was watching. Yeah. I watched it live. Bartman obviously becomes the fulcrum. So I didn't remember much about what happened before this. I went back, rewatched the eighth inning. Mark Pryor's first pitch to Mike Mordecai to get the first out of the eighth inning, he hangs that first pitch. And it really made me start watching him the rest of that inning. I think he was cooked. Mm. He hangs that first pitch. Mordecai just gets a piece of it, but pops it up. But for the rest of that inning, he gets shelled. And I didn't really realize that. Pierre obviously loops the ball into the outfield that Alug, you know, with the interference of Bartman's uh, uh, involved in. But after that, after Alou, the next thing that happened, the very first pitch after the Bartman Alou Uh is a ball for wild pitch that gets behind the catcher. Now the Marlins have a guy at first and third. He hangs a pitch to Yvonne Rodriguez. He hangs a, a, a breaking ball to Yvonne Rodriguez that he hits uh, into the outfield for a single to score a run. Dusty stays with Pryor. Pryor hangs one to Miguel Cabrera, and which leads to Alex Gonzalez booting the um, what could have been a oh, double player at least the next out. Yeah. But I really – I feel like – and this is sad. Everyone obviously blames Bartman. And then to, to check down, people go, oh, well, hey, we should also blame and hate Alex Gonzalez for booting that that grounder. But the truth is, is I think Pryor was cooked. I think he was done. And I think Dusty left him in way too long. I mean, that was that's always been the book on that team and Dusty is like, I don't I don't know if Pryor and Wood were ever good after that. They might have had like some some nice right. victories the next couple of years, but you know, those were the, those we were we were set with. I mean, you know, I don't know. You want to say, you know, we were set with like you know Clemens and Seaver for the next like ten years with with Wood and Pryor. Right. We right. had like the. I mean, because the year, no, not the year before, a few years before, Kerry Wood had struck out twenty in that in that day game versus the Astros. It was right. Just the most unbelievable stuff I've ever seen. And uh, but he 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 threw those arms out. 
And I, I can't remember our bullpen that year. Uh, I, you know, I'm sure it was, you know, we were all just, we were all just squeezing the whole stadium. Everyone was just squeezing so tight and that strike zone gets tighter later in the game when you're, when you're up. And I, I, I it's, it's pretty uh, interesting to hear that Pryor hung that first pitch and Mordecai just missed it. And yeah, he got shelled. He got shelled. It, it, he was, it, it was such a good game too, up until that point. And I feel like, I don't know if it was fatigue i don't know if it was the pressure but i i feel like he came undone in that inning and it, i think it, you could see shades of it before the bartman play which i think is is worth noting yeah the next category the next credentials the ear test david what did you hear in this moment i'd like to play it for you let's listen to it together and we'll talk about it afterwards again in the air down the left field line reaching into the stands and couldn't get it and he's living with a fan Again, immediately that announcer, immediately using the word livid, it was as plain as day how mad Alou was, and I feel like that must have affected everyone that saw him. Uh, I, I mean, the the stadium afterwards, like walking around the the, the inner part of the state, the Wrigley Field afterwards, it was probably like what it was like um, in the in that uh, in that English in that English castle when they captured Braveheart. It was like. <laughs> The way we were talking about Bartman was like, like the, how the how the English wanted to gut Braveheart. Like it was, right. it was rough. I've like never said I've said I said some things I, I won't even repeat on air what I oh. what I wanted to happen to Bartman, and you know, and I regret it all because I didn't right, know. Right, right. But in the moment, all you care about is the World Series, and the whole stadium was just like, just. You're just everyone is hammered. You're talking to strangers. You're commiserating. You're oh angry. Like there was, you know, you're processing the grief. You know, just twenty thousand, you know, drunk Chicagoans, just about as bad as it can get. Uh, <laughs> it was, it was a, it was a dicey situation. Like, I mean, thank God he got out of there safely. I feel like it was a different time. Like, thank God for like. Yes. We weren't a split politically. There wasn't social media. Right. Like nowadays, right. he might not oh make it out alive. It's it's really crazy to think about. It, with social media, it would have happened. It would have ramped up so quickly. And I'm not certain there's any way you could have hit it, uh, hidden him. I appreciate the the Cubs security doing that. It's in the doc. If you haven't seen it, check out the doc, uh, Catching Hell, that ESPN did, the 30 for 30. Harrowing footage of them trying to sneak him out of the stadium. Really amazing. Um, never watched it. You never watched that doc. No, it's like it's like it's like Jackie O watching JFK. Just don't, don't do it. <laughs> Damn, don't need don't. I was there. <laughs> don't need to see it. <laughs> it really it, the the footage they have. I'm just gonna tell you quickly. The footage they have of him. I don't know who it was, but someone's with security and they're recording it all. I don't know why, maybe for security purposes, maybe to be like, if someone decks this kid, we got to get it on camera. But the footage of them running him out of the building is harrowing to say the least. I mean, you can see people throwing stuff at him. He is clearly super fucking nervous. It's really, it's, I mean, it's, I've been laughing a lot here and it is funny to think about if you can separate yourself from what actually happened. It's crazy to think about what happened to this kid in that moment, the days that followed. And the fact that he's never cashed in on this is amazing. 
He's never done an interview about this. He's never been on television. He's never done a doc. He's never been on local news. He has completely separated himself from this. The Cubs did give him a World Series ring, which I thought was a nice gesture. Yeah. And he was appreciative of it. But the fact that we don't all know what Bartman's doing right now is a testament to him going, I want no part of this. I'm just a Cubs fan. I made a mistake, et cetera, et cetera. So truly an amazing sports moment to think about. Yeah. His choice, good for him if that's what he wants. It was just – I'm so glad he got – I forgot he got the ring. I knew the Cubs did something. Uh, that's It's great he got the ring. Yeah, it's really great. And it has Bartman on the side. It's great. He's got a great name. Congratulations to him on that name. Uh, it certainly helps this moment to me. If it was like some – if it was like Johnson, yeah. it's just not – it doesn't carry the weight. The fact that we're calling this the Bartman game is phenomenal and it's additive here. And uh, I'll just add one more thing. The fact that <clears> – <throat> He was a fucking Halloween costume afterwards. Yes. Like yes. that shows what a moment it was. And and like I think the next year opening day the Cubs played like at Milwaukee or something and a bunch of Milwaukee's fans like in the bleachers all dressed up as Bartman. Oh my and God. that was a real like uh, twisting the knife. But that's how big it was. Like this guy created a, a Halloween costume. A great ad. A great point. The next category, the next credential here is You Mad, Rob, Play My Camera on Clip. You mad, you mad, you mad. Thank you so much. Who is mad? I love it personally. I love it when people are mad about a sports moment. In this, for this episode, it's it's tough to, to think about this. Who is mad? All of the fans of the Chicago Cups were mad. And, and, and weirdly, I want to play you these. The announcers who did a decent job of splitting like the rancor at times they were like no one's to blame but they also said some crazy things on television Let, let's listen to this together here at wrigley when the opposing team hits a home run they throw the ball back onto the field i'm surprised someone hasn't thrown that fan onto the field <laughs> i think he's gonna be scared to leave this place <laughs> I, I, now i know steve lyons is a funny guy and was trying to be funny but <laughs> yeah. in retrospect hearing that on television you're like god damn yeah yeah i yeah, it doesn't sound great. It just makes me feel terrible. <laughs> I know. You know like, just, there were people like, were out for blood like around totally. them. I, did, I had a friend I just remembered sitting in Bartman's section at the same time, <sighs> and he they were all getting showered with beer. Like the oh 30 seats God. around there, because the beers were – I mean, people were just incensed for just like section after section. God. It's, this is, it's, I don't mean to laugh because it's sad and it's crazy. But it's it's also wild to hear firsthand accounts from people that in the stadium in his section. Amazing. Here's another thing they said on the broadcast. This was later in the game, but said in earnest on the broadcast. It's crazy to think about. Without sounding overly dramatic here, you certainly hope and pray for the safety of those fans down the left field line that are taking a lot of heat from the fans down that way. I, I mean, everyone knew what yeah. was going to go on and and we still turned it into content on the today show on sports center you know everyone was talking about bartman it's it really i i can't i can't there aren't many parallels to sports moments this crazy and then endured this long those announcers are way up in a booth totally attached detached from the the seats right. Right. and that's how that's how that's the energy that they they could they knew they knew it they knew oh. from that far away that this this is this is not this is not going well this is like a very different experience something else i want your comments on 
I didn't know this. I found this out from watching Catching Hell the Doc. He had friends with him. He was not alone. All the footage, the images, they show him. He looks like the the lone gunman. Yeah. He he had friends with him. They did almost no consoling in the moment, and they left the game early before he did. There's no way in hell Steve Bartman is still friends with those people. <laughs> I didn't. I had no idea he had friends with them. I thought he went to like games by himself, like a true, just like I'm a baseball junkie. I get a box score and. You know, I go by myself. I that's pretty crazy that his friends. Isn't that him. nuts? He had yeah. they took off the game before he did. It's just what an insane story. David, can you talk about history of the world part two? How far along is it? When can we expect it? Can you tell us anything about this rejuvenation of this? Again, I mentioned it earlier on. It's a monolith, it's a pillar, it's a legendary comedic property, and you are writing, producing, and directing its comeback on Hulu. Can you tell us about it? Uh, yeah, it's been a surreal, amazing experience. We're, we're I doing, can't um, imagine. yeah, we're, we're doing. It's eight episodes. It's more of a, it's a TV format. Eight episodes for Hulu, um, but we tried to stay true to the movie and have some bigger stories mixed in, mixed in with some smaller one-off sketches. Uh, yeah, and doing it with Ike and Nick Kroll and Wanda Sykes, the other EPs, and we are uh, wrapping up post right now, post production. Oh. So we're edit, editing the show and. Then it goes through a whole series of coloring and sound mixing and then uh, subtitles added and and dubbing done for foreign markets. So that takes a few more months. So we're thinking early 2023, it's coming out. Amazing. And uh, we're really excited. Um, And yeah, I don't want to give too much away, but but it it was just a cool experience. Tell us this. What's What's Mel Brooks like? He is exact exactly what you want him to be like. He is perfect. Still hilarious. He's ninety six years old. He's <sighs> still sharp. He's you know when we first met with him on a Zoom, he came on and said he was only doing the show because he wanted the healthcare, uh, <laughs> the healthcare package from Hulu. Uh, so he's just he's, he's he's funny. He's just straight up still funny. And, uh, you know, he, he had, he had bits that he'd been thinking about for 40 years that he wanted oh, added into the, just oh not God. like whole jokes. Just like, if you do right. a sketch about this, I've always thought this would be funny. And we're like, whatever you want, Mel. So yes. like Mel, Mel has some specific <laughs> jokes in the show and he wasn't writing Amazing. it with us, but he's been reading the scripts and watching the cuts. And, uh, and he, you know, he's, he's also just like such a, just a sweetheart. Just every time, you know, we finish meeting with them. He's just like, all right, I love you guys. I love you. I'll see you later. Oh. God bless you. He's just, oh, he's just the best. So good. So yeah. good. David, this show is about moments, the power of moments. Your career is phenomenal. It's amazing to, to think about what has been the best, most exciting moment of your career so far. Mm. Uh, that's a great question. I mean, it, it was pretty exciting to go to the premiere of a movie you wrote, to go to a Central Intelligence premiere. You're um, walking the red carpet. What's that like? Uh, I mean, you know, it, you just feel like you feel like you're, I don't know. I felt like I was watching something I'd seen on TV as a kid. Right. It was felt yeah. like when I met a movie premiere, like this only happens like on in TV shows right. and movies. It felt just right. like it, I wasn't even there. Right. Um, uh. And, uh, you know, and just getting to direct my first episode of TV for the Mindy project was, was exciting. And, Every, I mean, I'm so lucky. Everything, every little thing, you know, you just take it in stride because you 
luckily I've been doing it for a while, but when you step, step back and look at it, you're just like, oh man, producing a movie with Seth Rogen, you know, blockers in Atlanta, like you know, Kay Cannon directed, like that was amazing. And, yes. uh, you know, meeting all these incredible actors to do history of the world, to get so many incredible cameos. We were able to land all these people to come in and do one day of something fun for us. Uh, there's so many great moments. Um, Amazing. Yeah. It's, it's, I try to bring on people that I am inspired by personally that I look up to whose careers I've been following. It's a lot of my guests have that. You were certainly, you're talking about me because I'm a Bulls fan, right? No, no, no. Fuck the Bulls. (laughs) (laughs) It's, I hope everyone listens to the, you're, what you've achieved. I think it's super impressive. It's just a, such a small room, truly like professional athlete level success that you've achieved. Like it's, it's, there are so few people who have done what you've done. I hope you, you and your family take a moment to sort of appreciate it here soon. It's it's super impressive. Uh, The next category is, uh, of course, the next category is the MVP. What's the most valuable part? What's the most valuable part of, I mean, valuable here in quotation, what's the most valuable part of this collapse? What's the moment that you say, David Stassen, that you go, this is the thing that really was the most devastating part. Is it Bartman? Is it Gonzo? Is it Pryor getting yanked? What is the, what is the moment? Was it game seven? Was it Kerry, uh, Kerry Woods home run in game seven? Like what, what is the moment that uh, you go, this is the most valuable part of the Cubs not making that World Series? I, I think what kind of sticks out to me is just, as, as you said, the name Bartman. You just yes. say the word Bartman, yes. and yeah. it encompasses everything you just said. Yes. The, the, the play, the mitt-throwing by Alou, the, the air, yes. the collapse, <laughs> the next game, Kerry Wood hitting the fucking three-run homer, the pitcher. He was so <laughs> juiced. He had a fucking three-run homer, and we still lost the game. Like it encompasses Bartman just encompasses everything, all of that into the the Cubs didn't win the World Series. Yeah, it's it's re- it, there's something about the name Bartman. It just perfectly encapsulates all of those things. It really is fun to think about. The next category is burning questions. These the answer to these questions might make might put this in the first Bell Hall of Fame. My question is to you, David. If he's wearing a Florida Marlins hat, is Steve Bartman dead? He's badly beaten. He's he. There's no way he's not beaten up, right? If he's yeah, he, if he's a Marlins fan, he's getting beaten up. He's getting beaten up. Yeah. Oh god. He's getting, he's getting beaten up, and that and I got and then I mean honestly, you know, part of me is just like then I feel I feel no remorse. Uh, yeah, it's ugh. but <laughs> but yeah, he he he's not in good shape. He's like I don't even know if they, I mean security. They probably go and get him, but. They probably let a, let a few people get a couple left. <laughs> get, get a shot in here or there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the next category is Twitter fingers. This all happened before Twitter. So uh, not many tweets about this moment, obviously. Uh, uh, but Bartman gets invoked all the time. Lots of people recently, mm-hmm. when the fan turned the hot dog into a straw at Yankee Stadium, people were talking about Bartman, him being the most Animal. offensive fan Animal. since Bartman. Disgusting. I'm going to go through your Twitter instead. I've been following you for a while on Twitter. I think the first tweet of yours that I liked and appreciated was you wrote something to the effect of, am I a, am I a VIP 
you tell me. And then you posted a picture of the Foot Locker VIP Club keychain tag that you have <laughs> to get discounts at Foot Locker. That really connected with me. I'm a Foot Locker guy. I don't get why wow. people don't shop for shoes in stores anymore. Uh, whatever. Let's go through some other tweets here, some recent okay. ones. The oil stains on my shirt right now are most likely irreversible. That's a tweet from you. Dude, that was a, that was a rough Friday night. I was went a little crazy on that. I don't know what the meal was, but <laughs> here's another. Just had some juicy watermelon, a nice summer treat. Yep. I mean, hey, I, pe- people need people need to think about the small stuff sometimes. <laughs> Incredible floss sesh last night. The old choppers have never felt better. They, yeah, they, they felt they didn't feel mossy that morning. I wanted everyone to know. <laughs> And the last one, just threw another T-shirt away per the wife. I just want to say as I read those tweets, I know exactly who you are. I know exactly where you are in your life right now, and I appreciate that. Oh, thank you. I'm glad uh, I've reached an audience. (laughs) The X Factor is our next category. What's the X Factor? I'm not even opening this up to a discussion. The X Factor is Bartman. The outfit him bobbling the ball and reaching for it fecklessly the look on his face afterwards the headphones to me bartman is blameless here he is not the reason the cubs lost this game but he is decidedly the x factor that makes this moment truly and sincerely great and off the charts your thoughts well look i've already said a million times i regret any bad feelings i had towards him i don't know if he's blameless because when your wow. team is when your team is in the field and you're in the stands, you wow. lean away from the wall. Wow. You give the player a chance to get you lean away. Wow. But so just think about that. If he had leaned away, that's out number two. If he had leaned away, that's out number two. The, oh, let me ask a follow up question here. If David Stassen is sitting in Bartman's seat, seat one thirteen mm-hmm. at Wrigley Field, down the left field line. Does this moment happen? Does do you touch that ball, or does Alou catch it? Alou catches it. Oh my god! I am. I was so locked in. I could have. I could have caught. I could have caught an inning if they needed. All right. I was. I. I. I would have known what pitches to call. Like I. I. I am like okay. The ball's coming to me. Where's Moises? Oh, here comes Moises. I'm holding people back. I, uh, and the hindsight is twenty twenty. I swear to God, I was so locked into this team. I watched every game. I knew every move Dusty was going to make. I knew what pitcher came in the sixth. I knew what pitcher came in the eighth. I knew the double switch he was going to pull. I knew everything oh. about that team. Oh, my God. I, I want to say, as a sports fan myself, a diehard Lakers fan, you mentioned superstition earlier. There are... I usually put a chair right in front of the television so I can watch the Lakers game. And sometimes I'll stand up. Sometimes I'll move the chair. Sometimes I'll stop eating. Sometimes I'll get Uh food. Like I am super superstitious. And I believe in the power of us as a collective fan base cheering from wherever we are and that entering the space and the sky and affecting the outcome. I realize that makes me immature. I realize that makes me borderline stupid, but I believe in that. And I also believe that if I'm at the game, there's no way that I don't have the wherewithal to go. Now, hold on. He might be able to make this play. And maybe I'm even holding other fans back who might be going for the ball. It sounds yeah. like you're the same. You get it. You get it. I, it was two <laughs> years ago, two years ago, the Bears, to start the season, had these ridiculous, like crazy last minute, like comebacks. 
Right. And the first one happened while I was loading the dishwasher. Yes. And the rest of that season, like with three minutes left in the fourth quarter, I would start loading the dishwasher. <laughs> as, <laughs> and they went like, I think they went like four and one with me loading the dishwasher. There you go. Yeah. That stuff, I swear game, to God. I, you can't convince me that stuff doesn't matter. Uh, David, I see the clock is running down on us. It's almost time for our new monster hit podcast segment called More Important. David, have you heard More Important on the show yet? Uh, no, I have not. Perfect. That's Excited. perfect. Okay, here we go. David, tell the first ballot audience, how are you using your success in Hollywood to give back to the people in Chicago who raised you? Oh, well, this this is nice. This is more important. I'm, oh, uh, I'm so sorry, David. We ran out of time for that. <laughs> it's I was going to talk something. about uh, playground equipment for uh, children, but okay. No, no. It's time for something more important. Rob, play the music. Oh, yeah. Good time. More important. Hell yeah. David, I have some questions for you. All of them are more important than any of the bullshit you've been talking about for however long we've been talking. You got to answer them fast. Do you hear me? I There's hear an you. imaginary clock counting us down. David, are you ready for more important? Ready. Number one, if you had to eat fast food every day for the rest of your life, what franchise are you choosing? McDonald's. Wow. Wow. I. Wow. Number two, what is your favorite comedy thing? It can be a movie, a TV show, an episode of a TV show, a stand-up album. Do you have a favorite comedy thing? I'm buying you some time here to think. I will say if you go broad, it encompasses more. But if you go specifics, it will require guts. And with the guts comes the glory. What, David, is your favorite comedy thing? Uh, first thing that comes to mind is Tropic Thunder. Wow. Great. It's great. Number three, what's the next big project for you? What are you working? What's what's down the road? Can you talk about something coming down the road? Uh, without getting into specifics, uh, writing a movie... Uh, for for Kevin Hart, oh, he's he's so goddamn funny, Kevin Hart. And you know, it's it's I feel like it's popular to find whoever's like the big comedy guy in anything, big guy, the big person, the the sort of the the big dog, the headliner in any field, and to tear them down a bit. Every time I see Kevin Hart, he makes me laugh. Every single time I see him, he makes me laugh. Uh, my hats off to Kevin Hart. I Next do. question: You're in comedy. We're talking sports. Who's the funniest athlete of all time? Ooh. Uh, gotta go Barkley then Peyton Manning close number two great answers great answers Charles Barkley is a legend uh, number five last question per your tweets you're a big watermelon guy so am I but what tastes better strawberries watermelon or pineapple we've talked about all of them on the show what's the be- what fruit tastes best I'm gonna go pineapple yeah it's really most, good most hydrating it's 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 um, got like an exotic taste. It feels like the islands. Uh, pineapple's delicious. Exactly. I, I cut them. I've talked about it on the show before. I, we we buy them uncut. I cut them. I've become a bit of an expert at cutting pineapples. Ooh. Listen, I don't want to go into it. I just just want to say it. Hey, uh, the next cre- <laughs> the next credential is the cosine, David. This is to you. Does the Bartman game? Does the eighth inning of Game Six from the two thousand three NLCS? Does it belong in the first belt Hall of Fame? And why? Without a doubt, yes. Because of everything we talked about and we didn't even get into. So it's just the the, the, the majesty of the moment on top of the the hundred year wait. Mm-hmm. This moment 
it wasn't just any franchise. It wasn't right. It wasn't the Reds almost making the World Series when they'd right. been there in the seventies <laughs> and the and the eighties. It was, it was, it was the Cubs. It was the, the biggest losers in the history of worldwide sports. The most famous, right. lovable losers about to go to this <laughs> World Series. Yeah. You're exactly right. We we did not once mention the the, the curse, the years, hundred years. It's a great cosine. Thank you for it. Sure. The next category is the induction speech. The induction speech is where I, Neil, the host of the show, get to decide whether the Bartman game goes into the first belt hall of fame. Listen, I appreciate David coming on the show. He's a phenomenal guest, but this ain't the goddamn David Stassen Hall of Fame here. I gotta make the decision. Listen, the Steve Bartman game is going into the first ballot Hall of Fame. Steve Bartman, the human, is not. He's just a fan who was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He didn't deserve what happened to him, despite what I honestly believe was fan interference. Strangely, in retrospect, I think the Cubs might have had a better chance to win Game 6 if it had been ruled fan interference. But you can't blame the umps, and you certainly can't blame Steve Bartman. But that mix of great sports, an eighth inning collapse, the Marlins coming on, great stakes, the NLCS with the World Series on the line in 94, perhaps 95 straight years of Cubs championship futility, plus great mystery Steve Bartman and that lazy foul ball undoing everything makes this an absolute shoe-in for the first ballot Hall of Fame. The Chicago Cubs, the Florida Marlins, Steve Bartman, that eighth inning, David Stassen, congratulations. And also, I'm so sorry you have been inducted into the first ballot Hall of Fame. First ballot. All right. I, I don't know how to feel about that, but, you know. <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> You've won. You've accomplished the goal, which is getting us the first ballot Hall of Fame. But it's also an infamy. It's tough. It's a tough game. But I appreciate you taking it seriously. Thank you so much. David, thanks for doing the show. How can people follow you? What can you plug? Anything people should watch out for? Look out for History of the World Part 2 coming to Hulu in the next few months. So uh, the movie I wrote and directed starring Ike Barinholtz and Dylan O'Brien, Maximum Truth. It's going to come out later this fall. Uh, more updates on that as I have them. And you know, people can follow me at David Stassen. If they if they if they want to hear about garbage cans and leaf blowers, <laughs> he's he's a super funny follow, and he's got a tremendous career to follow. Uh, so uh, everyone follow David Stassen. David, again, thanks so much for doing the show. Hey, my pleasure. It was fun. That's it. That's the show. My endless thanks to David Stassen for taking a break to come on the show. A very funny and talented man. Thank you so much. Thanks as well, as always, to Robert Rucci, our editor, and Jessica Singh, our producer. Thanks to Rhythm J for making all the first ballot music. Follow him on social at Rhythm J. Jorge Naranjo made our more important theme. I'd like to take a moment and thank Osmosis Miller, Gunner's Glorious Lettuce, for listening to and tweeting about the show. He's a big-time wrestling fan and might even be a real Baltimore Orioles fan, which, as you know, makes him a very rare breed. I appreciate you, Osmosis. Lastly, before we go... Rest in peace to Jonathan Charks. He wrote, Don't take your health for granted and be kind to one another. You never know what other people are going through. Well said. Thanks for taking some time to spend with us. Stay healthy. We'll talk again soon.